You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. The reading today is from Genesis 2, 4 through to 15. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Sehun. It winds through the entire land of Hevela, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and oinks are also there. The name of the second river is the Jehun. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Usha. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, our current teaching series is called God in the Everyday. And today we're considering work. What is work and what does the Bible have to say about it? Now, before you switch off because you think this doesn't apply to me, work includes study if you're a student. Work doesn't just mean paid work. And I'm also going to say something about unemployment and retirement as well. Now, I probably don't need to convince you about how important work is. The average worker's life is divided into three roughly equal periods. A third of our lives are spent sleeping, a third of our lives spent working, and a third of our lives spent in leisure or other activities. So work occupies at least one third of our life and at least half of our waking hours. So it's worth thinking about. And it's worth thinking about because God is interested in all of us. Following Jesus is not just about what happens on a Sunday for an hour or two, but what happens during each moment of the day, every day of the week. And we know that our work is a huge part of that. So it's crucial to keep thinking and exploring what God has to say about work through his word. So what is work? Well, it's easy for us to get this wrong because we form such a strong connection between work and money. We think that only paid work counts as work. 
But the Bible has a much bigger view of work than that. Here's how the author Paul Stevens defines work in a biblical sense. Work is purposeful activity involving mental, emotional or physical energy or all three, whether remunerated or not. So if you are a student, then that is purposeful activity that involves mental, emotional and physical energy. The same goes for people caring for children or a frail or disabled relative, uh, volunteer surf lifesavers patrolling our beaches and keeping them safe, CFA volunteers fighting fires to protect people and property. Work is much broader than the things that we get paid for. And it will benefit us greatly to, to prise apart the two notions. Now, the Bible has quite a lot to say about work. We could spend a number of weeks looking at this topic rather than just one. But let me give you just a brief sketch of what the Bible says today by breaking it up into three categories. Work and us. How does our work impact us? Work and others. What's the relationship between our work and others? And work and God. How does our work relate to God? So firstly, work and us. The first thing that needs to be said is that work is good. And it's part of who we are created to be as humans. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God making the world and making humans in his image to live in the world. God himself is presented as a worker. He fashions and he shapes the world and he fashions and shapes humanity to live in the world. He spends six days putting the creation together. And then we read in Genesis 2, 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God himself is a worker. So it's not surprising that when he makes humans in his own image, he makes them to be workers. We saw that in our Bible reading from Genesis chapter 2. God plants the Garden of Eden and then he fashions the man. And in Genesis 2.15, we read, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care, take care of it. His job is to look after this garden that God has made, to till or to work the ground and to take care of it. So even in the Garden of Eden, men and women were not just chillaxing, they had jobs to do. It's part of who God created us to be. It's part of our humanity that we expend mental, emotional and physical energy in work. And it's a good thing. It's part of God's good creation. And in our own work, there are times when we experience what a good thing it is, where we have a sense of achievement and accomplishment in our work. When we get to the end of a day and we say to ourselves, I feel tired, I've expended energy, but I feel like that energy has been put to good use. I've achieved something significant. Uh, I remember driving around with uh, Jerry from a previous church I was at, who was a builder. 
and him pointing out with pride all of the things that he'd built. Now, his mate Lance in the car would always respond, yeah, I'm surprised it's still standing, mate. But those houses were tangible evidence of the good work Jerry had done. Now, this view of work as fundamentally good goes against the view that devalues work or sees it as a means to an end. You may have heard the saying, working for the weekend, where work's just something that you endure so that you have enough money to be able to have your leisure time. Well, the Bible has a higher view of work than that. It's supposed to be fulfilling and good. But we know that's not the whole picture. In Genesis 3, we see humanity disobeying and rebelling against God. There we see sin entering the world and corrupting the good creation that God has made. And that has implications for work. So in Genesis 3, 17 to 19, God says to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So Adam's job, remember, was to till and work the ground, and that remains the case. But now that good work will be met with frustration. The ground will work against him. Thorns and thistles will complicate his work. It will be a battle and sweat will drip from his brow as he undertakes this hard work. So here we have this tension, which is part and parcel of the Christian worldview. God made the world and declared that it was very good. But in the fall, that good creation is now corrupted by sin and it's not the way it should be. And so too with our work. Work is good and it's part of the way that God made the world and us to be. But work itself has been corrupted through sin. It's often frustrating and difficult. It often involves labour and toil where there's no reward at the end. We may do things and not get the credit for it. Now, I'm sure that you feel this tension within your own work. There are times when work is satisfying and you feel a sense of achievement, but there are other times when you feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall. Other people or even your boss undermine your efforts and work against you. You know, people in the shared assignment group you're in don't contribute and leave it up to you. Or you invest hours in a project and it gets dropped at the last minute. Or you forget to press save and it's all lost. Work is not all it could be. The good thing is frustrated and corrupted by sin. And this is true at another level too. In our sin, we can often elevate the good things of God's creation too highly. We can tend to worship them, make them gods and put them in the place that only God deserves to be. And this is certainly true with our work. It's a definite tendency for us to define ourselves by what we do 
one of the first questions asked when we meet someone is, so what do you do? I'm a teacher. I'm a builder. I'm a scuba diving pizza delivery man. That's a real job, by the way, uh, at an underwater hotel in Florida. And we can tend to think that what we do defines who we are. If we have an important job, then that gives us worth. And similarly, if we don't think that our work is important, then we devalue ourselves. This problem is heightened by the tight connection we form between work and money. So the value of our work and our self-value is linked to what we earn. So the result is that those who are doing unpaid work, like full-time carers, for example, end up thinking that they are not as valuable. Now, while the Bible highlights the importance of work, it never uses work as the primary category for defining ourselves. Who we are and what we're worth is not determined by what we do, but it's determined by who we are created to be and our relationship to God as people made in his image. Work is important and good, but work is also frustrated, frustrating, and doesn't determine who we are. So as Christians, we need to avoid undervaluing work on the one hand and thinking of it as a necessary evil, and overvaluing it on the other hand and thinking that it defines us, burying our whole selves in our work, becoming workaholics because our sense of identity is found in our work. Let me also pause here and speak about the implications of this for unemployment and for retirement. Unemployment is a reality for many, including some of you, uh, people who have lost jobs or people who are finding it hard to break into the workforce. And as we get older, retirement will become a reality for us all. Firstly, we need to be aware of how hard both these things can be for people, right? Work is a good thing made by God, and when our means of employment ceases, it can feel like the rug has been pulled out from under our feet. Uh, that creative outlet, that means of fulfillment, that challenge suddenly ceases, and it can be a very painful thing. So we need to be sensitive to those in our community who are facing this. But secondly, work need not cease when employment ceases. God made us to work, and that's independent of employment. Indeed, it's healthy and helpful to find other outlets for working rather than just stopping cold. Um, church is a place where there's plenty of work to be done, plenty of opportunities to serve in volunteer roles, opportunities to work in order to serve others and God using the energies and the gifts that God has given us. And thirdly, we must remember that our worth doesn't lie primarily in what we do. Work is important, yes, God made us to work, but we're not mere machines as if our only value is in what we produce. No, our value lies in who we are, 
human persons made in the image of God, people valuable to God, people known by God, people so precious to him that he didn't spare his only son to save us. That has nothing to do with whether we're employed or even whether we're working or not. We're no less valuable, no less loved, no less important to God. What about work and others? Let's look first at Luke chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, where John the Baptist is calling on people to repent, to turn back to God. And people respond to him by asking, what should we do? And John frames repentance in terms of how they do their work. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to do, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, here are two more doubtful professions, tax collectors and soldiers. But John doesn't say, quit your jobs, they're dodgy. He tells them to transform their work so that it's honoring to God and it doesn't exploit other people. Now, I think it is possible that a job might be too unethical for us to do with any integrity. Uh, making poker machines, manufacturing cigarettes or producing pornography may be beyond redemption. But John the Baptist takes even some dubious jobs and tells the people to redeem them. Work can be used to take advantage of people and to exploit them. But those who are seeking to live God's way shouldn't and mustn't abuse work in that way. That's to take this good thing that God has given us and to abuse it. Instead, we're to take concrete actions in our work to ensure that the work we do doesn't negatively impact others. Now, that's going to look different in each job. But some good diagnostic questions to ask ourselves are, where in my work do I have power? And how do I use this power to take advantage of other people? So a mechanic might take advantage of people's lack of knowledge about cars and so charge them to repair something that doesn't really need fixing. A lawyer might take advantage of her PA and get him to do things that are not really part of the job description, like preparing personal tax returns or running family errands. You see, the more power that you have in your job, the greater the danger of exploiting that power and taking advantage of people. There's a similar idea in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Uh, rather than stealing, people should work honestly. And the reason for this 
so that they can use what they get from their work to help those in need. Now here, the idea of work is linked with money, but the purpose of the money earned from work is to help those who don't have as much. Work is not only about us, but also about others. So we mustn't use our work to take advantage of others, but put positively, one of the purposes of work is to provide for others, to provide for our families, to provide for the mission of the church, to provide for the disadvantaged and needy. That's to use work well uh, as the good thing that it is to help those around us and to honour our relationships. Now this puts our work in a broader context. It's not just another day, another dollar, but a chance to use our work to earn money so that we can be generous to other people. It's not just about how we spend what we earn on ourselves, but how we can serve others with the fruits of our work. The more we earn, the more generous we can be. Now, what does the Bible have to say about God and our work? Well, in Colossians 3.22, Paul provides instructions to servants and masters, which is not exactly the same as employee and employer, but the principles he articulates are helpful in this regard. Paul writes, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. The point is this. Although we need to serve faithfully those who are in charge over us in the human staffing structure, our bosses or our boards, this is not where our ultimate responsibility lies. Ultimately, consider yourself as working for God, serving Him faithfully and being obedient to Him. So even if your efforts are not recognised by earthly bosses, or you're bypassed unfairly or unjustly, your heavenly boss knows the quality of your work and he's completely just and fair and will ultimately reward you. This is true of the unseen work that we do. Uh, lots of what you do in your work is invisible. If you're a mum at home caring for an overtired toddler, all on your own, it can feel like no one sees or appreciates the work that you're doing. A student putting in hours of study for some exams, uh, for questions that may or may not appear on the final paper. An employee noticing a tripping hazard that everyone else has ignored, but you act on it. No one else may see that hidden work, but God does. What a profound change that has on our work if we do it as if we are serving the Lord, picturing God as our boss as we labour in the workplace or at home or wherever. A simple way to acknowledge this is to pray at the start of each working day. Say to God, Thank you, Heavenly Father, that I'm serving you today.
Thank you that you will see the good work that I do today. Help me to serve you faithfully in all that I do. It's simple, but it may just transform the way that you look at your work. As Christians, our worldview should very much transform the way that we do our work. We shouldn't undervalue work or think of it as a necessary evil. No, work is good and it's part of being human to work. We shouldn't overvalue work and invest our whole identity in it either. Uh, God loves us as his children, not based on our productivity. And work will disappoint us if we make it our idol and elevate it above God. Work will be frustrating at times too because the good thing has been broken by sin. And we need to think about our work relationally. Don't misuse your work and the power that you have in your work to exploit other people. But positively use your work to help and to empower others. And use the money that comes, if you're paid for work, to be generous. Lastly, remember that God is your ultimate boss. He may not appear on the organisational chart, but he's the one who sees the unseen things. And he's the one that we will ultimately be accountable to. He's a good and loving boss. So whatever we do, let's do it to honour and to serve him. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.